Welcome back to another episode of the Kettle Menu Podcast. Today, my guest is another Caroline, and we happen to be located and live in the same county in Montana. I loved this conversation because Caroline has really started from the ground up, and she shares incredible knowledge and passion in the industry. So I encourage you to listen and to learn from Caroline and follow along with her on social media. Hey everyone, welcome to the Cattleman You Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K Rose Company and Cattleman You. Through our conversations here, we share the latest ideas and techniques to help you start, improve, and expand your farmer ranch. Join us as we visit with industry experts and cattle producers to get honest ins and outs of beef production. We'll dive into topics such as cattle handling, nutrition, cattle markets, genetics, and so much more. We encourage everyone who's involved in the industry to listen. Let's dive in. We are excited to have Caroline join us today. So this is the podcast of Caroline. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Why don't you get started and tell us a little bit about your experience in agriculture and the beef and sheep industry? Yeah, so I came out to Montana on a cattle drive when I was 10 with my mom. And we were, you know, we lived in the suburbs. I rode horses back um, in Pennsylvania, where I'm from. But this lifestyle really had a grip on me since a young age. And I started working as a ranch hand for that same ranch out here in Broadwater County. So my experience from, I would say I was a ranch hand from like age 14, 15, all the way to 25, kind of every summer. And then once I got out of school, it was full time. I really thought it was going to be cattle. That would be my way into the industry. Cause that's just what I, you know, learned, but as a lot of first generation people learn the infrastructure required to start something of your own with cattle is tremendous. And, you know, I was a ranch hand, I wasn't making any money, so I couldn't even afford like a cow, <laughs> let alone a herd. So it was interesting. I saw an ad for these free sheep on Facebook and the ranch where I was working basically said, well, listen, as a bonus of your employment, if you want to bring these sheep here, you can and kind of start your own little thing. I brought them back to the ranch. Um, my husband helped me haul them there. We didn't own a trailer or anything at the time. They all started lambing within several weeks of that. So suddenly we had eight sheep <laughs> and I was really hooked. It was this, you know, I love cattle, but I could lamb the sheep by myself. I could do all the chores completely alone and they didn't need anything. They had a little barn and I had a little, a couple sections of electro net fencing to move them around to different grazing spots. And they would just eat, you know, weeds and grass off pivot corners that the cows, you know, wouldn't even bother with. So that was really our start. And then we were able to continue kind of working with that ranch as I went part-time and then eventually went full-time with my own business. When we started Little Creek, we were able to partner with them to add some cattle of our own to their herd that we run with their cattle. And then we were able to kind of find some lease pasture and things like that to expand year after year. So we now have a pretty good sized, small, you, you know, a sheep flock of breeding you. And we have um, a bunch of cows and we do direct to consumer beef and lamb. I think that sheep often get underestimated, but that was part of the reason why I started with sheep and 4-H is because my dad wanted something that I could handle on my own. And mm -hmm. he said at eight years old, you can't take a steer. Yeah. <laughs> 
He's like, I'm going to have to help you with everything with a steer. And he's like, I just, you know, it's your project. And if you're going to do it, you have to start out with sheep, something that you can handle and you can do on your own. And so I do think oftentimes we overlook the impact that sheep have. And I think sheep complement the cattle industry really well. And you talk a lot about that being a first generation rancher, you on your social media platforms, you talk a lot about how those two complement each other in the industry a little bit. And so talk about how you have grown your advocating arm of your business and a little bit about what that looks like. Yeah. So going from outside of agriculture to inside of agriculture, I've had the same experience that a lot of people have, which is like, wait, this narrative that we hear in documentaries and the movies and um, on articles, documentaries, it's leaving a lot out. And in some cases is really not accurate to what especially the beef and the lamb industry actually is. You know, I was working on a cattle ranch for years and I still thought that we were the exception to raising cattle on grass. I'm like, well, they must be, we just must be different than everyone else. But then I would be like, well, actually all the neighbors are also calving on, on pasture, you know, huh? just seems like everybody I meet happens to be raising cattle on grass. But the documentaries, you know, they said that these animals are, you know, in a feed yard for their whole entire lives and all this stuff. So I started kind of myth busting just on my Instagram stories to kind of my my audience of a growing customer base, people that were primarily in cities. And I was able to kind of translate and I didn't even know the industry jargon myself. So I think a lot of times it can be easier to hear things, hear concepts translated from people who are learning the terms themselves and can really break it down. Things that we in agriculture say that are so simple to us, like, oh, he has 20 head of cattle. You know, to someone in the city, they're like, what does that mean, 20 head? So I was breaking down all these terms. And as I've gotten deeper into learning about the industry, learning about, you know, other pieces and parts of it, because I was always on a cow-calf operation. I've just been blown away by the incredible, you know, family operations that make up the beef and lamb industry. And I'm very passionate about both soil health and environmentalism and also correcting public perception of these of these industries. And I will I will never say that there's an industry that's perfect, but I have been amazed at how we've really gotten it so wrong about our ruminant industries. It's kind of mind blowing. And it took me a long time to want to speak out about this stuff because I wanted to make sure I could do it in a way where people could really check my sources and that they could see that the information that I was presenting was beyond dispute. So it's not, it's just not as convincing to say like, Hey, me and all my rancher friends, I'll just tell you how we do it. You know, the article that you guys just read is wrong. So now when I quote unquote advocate, even though I don't, really consider it that I just consider it presenting facts. I'm always like, Hey, so here's how we do it. And this is what the USDA confirms, you know, industry-wide, or here's what the EPA says about the percentage of operations that are family-owned, things like that. One thing that always amazes me, and you and I live in the same county, is it's really easy for us to see the impact of what ruminants do on the environment when we just walk out our back door. I mean, we have legacy operations who have been doing it for five, six, seven generations. 
and we live in the most beautiful part of Montana. I mean, I think everywhere in Montana is beautiful, but we see generations who are so focused on creating the opportunity for their grandkids or their great grandkids that I think it's so easy to forget that not everyone gets to see how intentional we are about creating an opportunity for generations down the road. And I didn't realize that businesses don't think like that in general. The gas station in town doesn't think about their grandkids owning the gas station like we do in agriculture. And so the unique thing about you being a first generation is you get to bring that perspective and speak in a different you bring a different view and perspective just because it's not something that you grew up with. And so I think that that brings such a cool opportunity that me as a second or third generation misses out on. I think, you know, a lot of the first generation people like myself, I think we can be intimidated and we can feel like outsiders to the industry, but I always say that every perspective is valuable and needed. And it's actually kind of your superpower because if you're born into the industry, you have, it's your own kind of superpower where you have great connections. You might have some infrastructure, you know, you've had a generation above you that can give you advice. And also if you don't have that, you can, you have a fresh perspective. I had a very much a willingness to, there was failure was not an option. I could not, you know, I had nothing to lose. And so I, I was very, I think I was fairly brave in doing an unconventional business model because I already had nothing. I wasn't going to lose the ranch. There was no ranch. And one of the things I like to say to people when I'm kind of starting to advocate a little or just reset maybe how they think about the beef industry is I'm like, here in Montana, you know, we're outnumbered by cattle, like two to one, you know, cattle to human, something like that, maybe even more. And I'm like, if we were ruining the land out here, why, why is this the place that everybody wants to come visit 10 million tourists a year? want to come for the environment here. And of course, you know, they're going, they're not just going to Yellowstone. You can leave the park, drive north and see just as much wildlife on cattle ranches. Of course, not every single ranch. That's, that's not to say that every single person in the industry is an amazing environmental steward, but you don't get five generations by damaging your land. It's a pretty obvious economic concept that you can't destroy something that you need to make money the next year. 100%. Ladies, this one's for you. Have you been looking for the perfect planner that will help you start on the right foot? We've created the Kettleman U Planner for ranch women, wives, mothers, and daughters who are looking to improve their operation. Our planner is packed full of the tools that will help you learn more about ranching, working with others, and knowing yourself. Not only does it include a calendar, but it's also jam-packed full of intentional questions and thoughts and action items to move the needle forward. Grab yours today at kettlemanulive.com slash planner. What do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions that you are tackling right now and sharing um, credible information about? That all beef cattle in the United States spend approximately two thirds of their life on pasture, no matter what. And one of the pieces that I try to push back against is, you know, we call ourselves a regenerative ranch, meaning we're doing like intensive rotational grazing, no added hormones, things like that, no antibiotics, et cetera. But because we're on social media and we're talking about this stuff, 
a lot of people will see ranches like us on social media and say, well, well, you guys must be the exception. Okay. You guys are taking care of your grass, but the rest of the industry must not be. And I try to tell people that the difference between a quote unquote, maybe an organic or a regenerative operation versus a quote unquote conventional operation, it's like 5% of practices that are different. And you might have a quote unquote conventional operation having better impact, doing more rotational grazing than a small niche organic operation that isn't managing their grass well. You really can't make these generalizations about operations without knowing them. And so as much as I'm very proud of our practices, I'm always trying to tell people like, listen, this doesn't mean that you can't go to the grocery store and have a wonderful steak. Yeah. One of the studies that came out that I just love the information that people are coming to combat is the new study about what to eat Mm. where they have beef and eggs ranked underneath cereal and everything else. I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay, uh, sure. (laughs) We need, uh, we have some education to do there. We have a widespread anemia epidemic among women in this country, among children in this country. And if you Google best sources of iron, it used to be that beef wouldn't even come up. And it's so much more absorbable and bioavailable than iron out of lettuce and other leafy greens. You'd have to eat like, like a bag of lettuce or spinach. I'm sorry, not lettuce. Yep, spinach. Yep. To get the equivalent amount of like eight ounce serving of beef. And I'm going, you know, to me, I'm like, let's solve our hunger crisis. Let's solve our nutritional deficits. Uh, and let's work on, to me, I think adding food to our diets rather than taking out is a more healthy approach all around. Absolutely. One thing we do on the other side of the county is we feed a lot of potatoes to our cattle, um, seed potatoes that don't qualify as seed potatoes. And it's one of the coolest things that I get to share with people because they can't go into the seed potato industry and the cattle love them. They will eat them first of anything in a month. And it's one of the best ways that we recycle because they can't go into the industry. The cattle love them. Nothing's going to waste. And so I'm always reminding people that we take that waste, feed them to the cattle. They can utilize them as nutrients. And so it's just this big circle of taking what we're offered and feeding it to the cattle. So I love that. That's a whole piece too. And the, and the dairy industry as well, a lot of dairy cows are getting a lot of, you know, a lot of their food would otherwise be going to waste. And that's a piece to me of, you know, when we talk about animal agriculture, it's actually minimizing methane because if this, these food um, byproducts were left to decompose, they would emit tremendous amounts of methane and it would go to waste. So in a lot of ways, you know, you know this, but if you take animal agriculture out, not only do you have to replace the calories and grow way more food and emit more CO2 to do so, but this food waste now is going to be going to waste and emitting that same methane that people are mad that cows are (laughs) emitting. (laughs) It's nuanced. Yes, absolutely. As cattle producers or sheep producers, how do you think we can better communicate about these controversial topics with consumers and also with other producers? Yeah, this is a huge passion of mine, and I think it can be done a lot better. I see some people out there being our own worst enemies and almost coming at it with a very combative, frustrated attitude, which I can understand. I can relate to sometimes when you when someone asks you a question that is almost insulting, almost implying that you know, essentially maybe you get a DM where it's like, 
so I've heard you, you know, ruin the land and abuse your animals, like respond, you know, and that's insulting. People will respond, you know, producers, ranchers, farmers will sometimes treat the public like they're idiots and they'll speak to them as such. And you might score some points, you know, with your buddies doing that, but you won't win over any minds. And so for me, we really have to meet people where they are and understand that they have these concerns because it's what they've been told by credible sources. And they really, they care about where their food comes from. And that's why they're asking and looking into it. We have to bring compassion to it. And there, you know, have an attitude of like, there's no stupid questions. We have to be transparent. For me, sometimes that means not making a video when I'm in a frustrated state. Occasionally, I will be a little salty, but I try to come on there with a big smile and be like, hey, I've got a bunch of questions about this. You know, for example, we shouldn't eat beef because it's chopping down the Amazonian rainforest, you know, to grow soy. So then I'm like, well, actually, you know, the data shows that Americans are not importing Brazilian soy, you know, to feed our cattle. If we feed cattle soy, it's grown here in the USA. Things like that with a big smile on my face and oftentimes trying to connect like, Hey, I can totally see why you would ask that question. It's, it's actually really confusing because I think even as producers, when we start digging into things like labeling laws, things like imports, exports, it's complicated even for us. And we know all the terminology. So yeah, I think a heavy, heavy dose of compassion goes a long way. And also being really careful what sources we share. So for example, if I find the same exact statistic on the EPA website and then I hear it again on beefusa.com, same exact source, I'm going to cite the EPA because if you're an outsider and you're looking at beefusa.com, you're going to write it off. You're going to go, Psh, that's not valid. So really doing governmental sources and peer-reviewed scientific journal sources rather than just articles sponsored by the beef industry, even if they're the same. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. The other thing too, that I think is important to talk about is you don't have to talk about controversial topics on a big platform if you don't feel comfortable. And we feel the need to respond sometimes, but your impact can be just as powerful to the one person in the grocery store, or I know you do smaller group events, but it can be the person next to you at church or someone sitting next to you at a rodeo who asks a question or in a small platform, you know, a small group setting. And I think sometimes we feel like, oh, well, we don't have 10,000 followers on social media or we don't have a big email list or we don't have this influence or impact. And so it's not really worth us standing up and saying something. And absolutely, that's not the case at all. I mean, if we can talk to one person, that's worth our voice and our thoughts on a topic. That's so well said. One of the things that held me back from for a long time was thinking that I had to talk about everything. If I'm going to answer questions about beef, then I have to answer questions about corn. And then I have to answer questions about, I don't know, GMOs, whatever. But I've really decided to stick to my lane. And I'll just say to people, Hey, I love that you're asking about that. Let me refer you to this other source for information on, you know, that crop or this practice. You know, I'm not a farmer. I can speak to beef and ruminants and that's pretty much it. And it's helped me be like, you know what? You don't have to have the answer to everything. Yeah. Cause we don't, right. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What advice do you have for either first generation ranchers or someone who wants to get into farm to table selling? I really believe in just starting where you are 
and diving in even when you don't know anything and you don't feel like you're ready. For example, let's say you want to start selling lamb a year from now. I would send that first lamb to butcher, start learning how to make a cut sheet, talk to your butcher, you know, decide, do I want to save the sheepskins, salt some hides, things like that. You know, how do I, um, how does the, how's the flavor on this animal? Just start. We launched our business with pre-orders actually. So we would have a lamb crop and then we would do pre-orders for let's say eight or 10 shares of lamb. And we started really small. So I had to figure out, I was selling lamb shares before we'd even butchered our first lamb. It was totally terrifying. Thank goodness my customers trusted me and thank goodness we pulled it off. But I learned so much by not waiting to have the perfect, all the meat in my freezer, all the photos done. We didn't have a single photo of a single cut when we started selling things, but it allowed me to, you know, I had the, the money already up front for these boxes or, you know, half the money. I could pay for my butchering. I wasn't going into a lot of debt to launch these products. And it allowed me, you know, I started so small that I got immediate feedback of like, oh, people really like the leg of lamb. They don't like the shoulder roast as much. They like the shoulder roast cut into chops. And so I had that information before we even scaled, you know, to 30 to 50 to 75 customers. So I just, I really believe starting where you are, we all have a network, even if you're not on social media at all, like you said, maybe your, you know, your church community, your local volunteering community, people, you know, from school, you can start with 10 customers just like we did. And I really believe in, um, in the importance of doing it now, because I think in 10 years, the direct to consumer market is going to be a lot more crowded. So the people that get in now, it's going to be very valuable. Do you have any big things coming up in your business that you're planning in the next couple months or in the next year? We are launching more retreats. We do retreats for women specifically. And the idea is to kind of create different events with different themes to introduce people that have not had access to ranching to these communities, to the work. And we actually get their hands dirty and they learn real skills. So we have what's called shepherd camp. It's a lambing retreat in the spring. We've got cowgirl camp, which is like out on the ranch riding horses. We do a roping workshop. We do that in the summer. And then I've got a new one I'm working on that I'm really, really excited about that is more like homestead skills. So that's been so fun. And as someone who went from outside of ag to inside, it's so fun for me to bring people on that same journey. Cause I mean, you know, this lifestyle, like it's unbeatable. And once you're in, it really gets a hold of you. Yeah. And I think it's hard to actually get in. There is an aspect of coming in on a dude ranch or coming in and, and sort of seeing it, but there's something about a good hard day's work. And, you know, we really are trying to offer something very different that we haven't seen a lot of where it's like, this is not a dude ranch. You're not going to, this is not glamping. You know, the food's good. You're going to sleep well, but you're going to be getting up early. We're checking the sheep. You're going to be sore at the end of the day. And it's been cool because a lot of people actually want that. And I also think in agriculture, us that are in it, we do need to remember to be welcoming. I think we can feel like our lifestyle is under attack and we can feel very defensive of it. And I very much understand that. And it can feel threatening to us when people who might be moving into the community or putting on a cowboy hat for the first time. And we're like, they're not like us, you know, they don't know anything, whatever. But 
really those people are hungry to learn more and they can be, you know, very passionate about the industry. And we want to make sure that we are, we are welcoming and extending them kind of the hand that, you know, I know that I wish I, I had a little more of when I got into the industry. So yeah, I think it's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love following you on social media. I think you do a great job of breaking down some of those hard conversations. And I think it's incredible what you guys have built, especially I know you talk a lot about um, not owning any land and really just yeah. starting with what you've been given and building. And you are particularly focused on building your sheep herd. Is that correct? My husband really has taken over the cattle side. So I feel bad that I don't talk about them as much, but he's the one taking care of them. And yeah, I'm just, I'm really obsessed with the sheep. <laughs> well, I think I have a soft spot for sheep. And if it was up to me, we would have more sheep, but my dad uh, and brother have something, have an opinion on that. So uh, we have definitely more cattle around, but thank you so much for this conversation. I will put all of your information in the show notes and it was great to chat and we are certainly cheering you on. Thank you so much for having me. This is the Caroline Club. It's been really yeah, fun. Yeah, abs absolutely. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Cattleman U podcast. Don't forget to subscribe at cattlemanulive.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to review when you get there. We are excited to learn alongside you and remember the grass is greener where you water it.